Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, daddy, with the most comprehensive professional wrestling podcast on the planet. That's right, it's Thursday and we are on the second of four shows this week. This one, of course, covering the latest and greatest from the Wednesday Night Wars as NXT and AEW went head-to-head once again this week with two absolutely loaded shows but who won the critical war who won the ratings war more on that in a little bit first of all folks you know it is five star review season that means five star ratings and written reviews on apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to fine wrestling audio don't forget to follow us on twitter at getting overcast and you can follow me at silverstein adam also don't forget to tell your friends and family about this show word of mouth will be the quickest way that we grow and i appreciate everyone for listening and being so dedicated to the show the consistent listenership it's apparent and it means a lot to me as i mentioned four shows this week we had the wwe money in the bank ultimate preview on tuesday be sure to listen to that on friday we will have a special interview episode of getting over featuring none other than alistair black who is competing in the men's money in the bank match at the pay-per-view on Sunday. It was an absolutely incredible interview. And I also have another surprise guest that you will love. I'm not going to say who it is just yet because the interview has not been completed, but simply put, one of the biggest names in WWE. And don't forget to come back Sunday night or Monday morning for the WWE Money in the Bank instant analysis that will be taped immediately after the show is over. As far as today's show, you know we're going to talk NXT. You know we're going to talk AEW. I also have a bit of a surprise for you at the end of the show as a very special guest joins me. You knew him from a prior show I was on. You know him from Twitter. You know him from Instagram. Nick Costos joins getting over for the first time to talk all things challenge total madness. I know not all of you listen to that segment, but if you want to hear Nick, we banter before and at the end of that segment, at the end of the show. There are timestamps, by the way, in all of our previews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you read those descriptions, uh, timestamps that are going to tell you what segments are happening and when, not just in this particular episode, but going forward and, and at the beginning of this week as well. So if you don't like challenge talk, no problem. You'll still get to hear Nick later in the show. Now, before we get into the NXT and AEW discussion, I did want to issue a correction from Tuesday's show. Some of you pointed out that it is not The Fiend Bray Wyatt facing Braun Strowman for the Universal Championship. It is Bray Wyatt, meaning the Mr. Rogers version. And I got to be honest, it is something I completely missed. So that's my bad on that. Uh, And it certainly does change my prediction as well, because you saw the way that Bray Wyatt performed as the Mr. Rogers character against The Miz compared to how he has performed in the ring as The Fiend. I actually do think that Strowman can beat Wyatt here, and I also think it's okay if he does, as long as they immediately continue the feud or don't take more than a couple weeks off, maybe a month at the most, and make sure it happens again at SummerSlam with The Fiend facing Strowman and beating Strowman. As long as that is the resolution, I wouldn't mind Wyatt losing a single match. One other news item before we get started, pretty random. AEW was fined $10,000 today by the Maryland State Athletic Commission for that John Moxley-Kenny Omega match back a few months ago. Not really much of a blip on the radar, but just another example that athletic commissions 
really hate professional wrestling. I also have a DM to start us off before we hit the main event. Adam X Parsons at Adam X Parsons. He said both AEW and NXT had stellar shows this week. Do you see a scenario where the TV ratings for Wednesday night shows surpass Raw on Mondays and or SmackDown on Fridays with those two WWE main roster shows having historically bad numbers of late? No, that's the quick answer. Now, the WWE numbers keep going down. And I think this past week on Raw, it was like a 1.8. But let's not forget last week, AEW was like 0.6, 0.7. So WWE is nearly three times larger than AEW, which is the higher rated between AEW and NXT on a regular basis. And when fans do come back, WWE may struggle to regain, you know, 2.2, 2.3, something like that. But I would expect them to be a 2.0 again pretty consistently for both of their shows when fans come back to arenas and when people start caring about wrestling again. So then they're back to three times the ratings. You know, I do think that it is possible a year from now that AEW is at a million viewers every episode and maybe NXT is around 750 or 800K because the AEW product is different, unique, and in many aspects or in some aspects, I should say better. Um, But to go from, for WWE to go down that far, and AEW to go up that high or NXT to go up that high. I just don't really see it. A lot of people who watch NXT are still people who are watching WWE, especially live. Now, we will talk uh, AEW and NXT. And the way we do that on this show is we hop into the main event. And we're going to start with AEW this week because going into it at the end of last week's show, I told you that NXT had every opportunity in the world to blow the doors off of AEW. I thought NXT had the better card top to bottom, even though AEW had a solid one. Uh, And I thought if NXT delivered and hit basically all its marks, that it would just absolutely kill it this week. Well, candidly, I watched both shows as I do every week. And I watched uh, NXT live and I watched AEW secondly, as I always do. And I was entertained by NXT. And we'll talk about later why I was both pleased and disappointed from that show. But there's no two sides to the AEW coin. AEW on Wednesday night delivered the best empty arena television show to date. Again, television show. I'm not saying it was better than WrestleMania, um, but then the Raws, the SmackDowns, the NXTs, and the other AEWs, the AEW Dynamite, some of them have been the worst (laughs) empty arena shows that we have seen. But this one, in my opinion, was number one since the beginning of the pandemic. So let's throw out Tony Khan's bullshit promises about Moxley and Hager being the best empty arena match of all time, or when he said last week's show was the best yet during the pandemic, both of those were false. This week's show, without that type of hype, was the best TV show, as I said, of any brand, Um, and the main event, in my opinion, was the best TV match, again, TV match, during this pandemic. That match was simply fantastic. You had Matt Hardy making his AEW in-ring debut with Kenny Omega in a street fight against uh, Les Sex Gods, which were Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara. Hardy looked great. He looked really good in the ring and his ability to change between the broken version and the original Matt Hardy version was a nice touch. Kenny Omega, we saw working a style that we have not often seen. Certainly if you watched him in DDT in Japan, which I'm going to assume most of you did not. Maybe you've seen some of this stuff from him before, but for the United States and for even the last three or four years, the style that Omega worked, that street fight style, we have not really seen. His moonsault off the riser 
was incredible. And before we move forward, the only thing I really didn't like about this match, I thought it was weird that Kenny and Sammy were dressed as if they were tag team partners. And Matt and Jericho were dressed as if they were tag team partners. They need to put a little more consideration into that. Black t-shirts and jeans, you look like you're on the same team. And, and I always thought that was weird from the beginning of the match. It did bother me throughout. But again, very minor uh, nitpick. So what happened in the ring and at the ringside area was great. But it somehow got even better when it entered the concourse because it was unique. So from throwing the 20-pound bag of ice at Matt Hardy to stuffing him into the cooler, uh, then he, him emerging as you know, the broken version of himself again, to him then commandeering the golf cart, running over Jericho and Guevara, the inner circle attacking. Yeah, it was a schmoz a little bit where there wasn't a clean finish, but I'm okay with that. Now that said, I never understood that it was a false count anywhere match. As the show began to progress and time started running out, I started to realize either A, they, there wouldn't be a finish or B, they would give us a false count anywhere. But I was just not really aware of that completely. I mean, there was a splash through a table and there was no pinfall count and the guy was laying on top of him. So I did think that was a little bit sloppy, but again, we're going to be positive here because it was great. The concourse setting was extremely unique. Uh, it was totally entertaining, the funny and fun stuff that they did. I thought it was a great touch at the end of the match to have the inner circle standing with uh, TIAA Bank Field or whatever the hell that thing is called now in their background, the Jaguar Stadium with the inner circle lighting up the scoreboard. That was just insanely well done from start to finish. And it was totally entertaining. And that is all you can ask, especially during this period of time. You have to also take into account that AEW with Daly's Place and with the Jaguar Stadium, they have a massive advantage, not over NXT, but over WWE in this pandemic era because of the facility and because of the resources that the Jaguars offer. There is nothing WWE can do about it. There's no way they can match it. Being outdoors with no fans works way better than a closed small facility that is meant to really be a performance center. And we're going to talk more about that and the setting and what AEW did in a little bit. But I did just want to kind of come out here and note that the presentation that they are able to give from Daly's Place automatically makes that show feel and look better than anything WWE can produce. And in prior weeks, I've taken that into account when I've graded, you know, AEW versus NXT. This week in particular, I obviously also took into account, I'm mentioning it right now, but AEW was so good that it even exceeded that consideration. Now, as much as I loved the main event, and I did, and it was probably the best part of the entire show. There was something that actually rivaled it on the same episode. And when I say this, it's probably going to shock you how much I liked it. Brandy Rhodes is shown in a pre-taped promo, basically trying to cut down Jake Roberts and Lance Archer. And I immediately started rolling my eyes. I was like, come on. We don't need Brandy cutting a promo. She's not a wrestler. She, Cody doesn't need her to speak for him. Blah, blah, blah. But after about like 30 seconds into the promo, I started realizing she is absolutely killing this. Delivery, absolutely on point. And if we get that occasionally from her, I am totally cool with it. Similarly, Lance Archer facing QT Marshall, who is just getting absurdly unnecessary amounts of television time. I had the same reaction. I don't care about this. It's going to be a squash. 
but it ended up being an incredible segment. You had Britt Baker running out, grabbing Brandy, hitting her with the DDT. So the first thing you think is, whoa, is there something here with Jake Roberts and Brandy? Is she going to join their group? It makes you wonder if she's with them. And when wrestling can make you think and suppose and talk about conspiracies and wondering what the booking is going to look like in the future, that's when it's really good. For example, this hacker thing on SmackDown. Is it the best thing WWE's ever done? No. But we're really curious who it is, even though we think we have a good idea. We're wondering how it's going to play out. Is there more than one person involved? When is it going to show up next? What's the point of the entire thing? Anytime wrestling takes you out of this person should have won, this person should have lost, and I don't like how this finished, and you start talking about booking long-term, it's exciting. And wondering whether Britt Baker is with Jake Roberts and Lance Archer has me excited. And then the match ends and Roberts comes out with the damn snake, and it was awesome. It was a little bit weird how he positioned himself over Brandy. I don't just say weird. It was unnecessary how he positioned himself over Brandy in a sexual type of position, and now he kept repositioning the snake over and over again. It went on far too long, and it got a little uncomfortable for me as Brandy. Like, thinking if I was Brandy, I would have been really uncomfortable with how all this is happening. I didn't think it was necessary to go that far, but nevertheless, segment killed. I was thoroughly entertained. She was great, uh, and Jake was good too. We're going to talk about him and his face mask a little bit later. Now, you guys know I also hate the stupid Dark Order stuff, but this was by far the best thing they have done with it so far in AEW because they showcased the strength and numbers of the organization. They also showed that Moxley really is a loner. John Moxley, obviously the AEW world champion, he really is a loner. He doesn't have a group. He doesn't have anyone to have his back. And because of that, he is vulnerable. I thought the promo from Brody Lee was pretty decent, but the response from Moxley was awesome. Dude, all you had to do was ask. Very Moxley reply. And then he gets beat down again, which is not something you normally see. Usually it's a beat down. The person accepts. There's a kicker, a finisher, and that's it. But to see that much aggression going down on Moxley, I thought it was a really good use of the Dark Order, especially without, you know, the other two main members of it, just being the minions or whatever you call them. Um, It really showed that Brody Lee is kind of buying into this role and it's working. Now, Adam McMongle at Adam Mick314, he wrote in, so there's a ranking system based on record. Brody Lee has beaten like three joppers, but can attack the champion and get a match immediately. People complain about this all the time in WWE. Uh, Yeah, I think it's a legitimate criticism. Uh, It did bother me as well. I didn't understand why he thought he deserved the match. That said, based on their rankings, I believe he was in the top four. And if you think about like UFC or boxing, it is not always the number one person at the top of the rankings that gets the title match. There are people lower that can get it either because the other people had fights more recently or the bookers just don't want it to don't want to do it that way. They want to save the money match for a different time. In AEW, I believe the people that are between Moxley and Brody Lee either are in other feuds or they're tag team champions um, or they're in involved in other matches and stuff. So it didn't completely bother me that they went this way, but I do think the criticism is legitimate. He has beaten no one to deserve an AEW title shot. At the same time, a challenge is a challenge. He challenged the champion, the champion expected, and we're also in this you know, pandemic era where, look, they only have so many people and they only have so much time before this pay-per-view. So you know, let's give them a little bit of a break here, as I do with WWE and as I do with NXT. 
Uh, I do want to give shout outs to both Frankie Kazarian and Joey Janela for their fantastic singles matches. We mentioned Moxley certainly before the Dark Order segment. He fought Kazarian and preceded it. It's a really good match. I mean, probably a four-star match. Uh, Kazarian just looked great. Janela really put his best foot forward against Cody. Uh, that was a good opening match, Janela and Cody. I am getting sick of seeing Cody to start the show every single week. He's a really big star for them, and we should be seeing him at bigger points. I don't know if AEW is doing that to just grab the audience from NXT because they don't have fans to react to a bigger segment. For example, if Jurassic Express came out and the fans blew up, then you can save Cody later in the show. I'm not sure what their decision is like that, but it just feels like Cody opens the show every week, and I wouldn't mind have seeing, seeing that Moxley segment open the show or, you know, really uh, something else. Just maybe not this week, but maybe next week. I need a little bit more variety. Again, these are minor criticisms, but, you know, they're legitimate. Uh, the MGF promo. Well, I think last week I said the guy's starting to wear on me and bore me. Well, came in. Uh, probably my favorite promo he's done so far in AEW. Absolutely knocked that out of the park. So he took me down two pegs and he took me up three. So MJF, uh, big win there. We'll see what happens next week when he's back in the ring with Wardlow. Uh, we'll see what feud they do. You know, he was on. I didn't expect him on TV in the crowd when he basically said, I won't be there until next week. That was strange as well. Why didn't he just cut that promo from Daly's place, from a suite or something like that? Just really strange, top to bottom. So uh, I didn't like that necessarily. I didn't think he should have been there. It was totally unnecessary for him to have been there and to speak on the mic after already cutting a promo. But again, these are nitpicks. Now, I did just offer in that segment the most praise I ever have for a single episode of AEW TV. We're talking regular Arena Dynamite or even you know, empty arena dynamite. Uh, but I did have some issues with the product and the presentation. And Tony, you know, Khan can tout their testing, the COVID testing, all he wants. But it was really nothing more than good PR to me. There was so much of that show, so many things that happened that were either unnecessary, unsafe, or showed a lack of care that at different times during the episode, it took me out. There were simply way too many people around the ring at all times. Not just during the show itself and the regular matches, but during the street fight. There were a ton of people in the concourse area. Some were wearing masks. Others weren't. There were children, people that were clearly not wrestlers or seemingly not people that we knew or, or know are part of AEW. You had Jake Roberts and Billy Gunn wearing masks, but then taking them off their faces, then putting them back on. Some camera people had masks. People in the crowd did not, but they were the ones actually interacting with the wrestlers. It just, it, it didn't feel right. You, They can test everybody and there can still be false negatives, especially in antibody tests, which are the ones that they delivered. Um, they, you know, they're immediate. They don't take multiple days to come back. It is known that there are false negatives and false positives on these tests. So to test everyone is great and it's what they should be doing. But at the same time, to take all these unnecessary risks. I love the beatdown of Moxley by seven people. Could it have been four? Okay, maybe that couldn't have been. Do you need to have everyone in the crowd around it? The crowd actually, some are saying it helps. I like the idea of some noise in the background of the matches, but having Sean Spears blow an air horn and people cheer for one person or the other and Pineapple Pete, which whether it's funny or not, it doesn't really matter. It just kind of takes me out of like, look, this is clearly an empty arena show. 
I'm glad they're doing it if they feel it's safe, even though I disagree with anything operating right now. But take the utmost precautions. Just because you did these tests and you think you have PR covered doesn't mean it's safe to operate the way they operated. I also think that while AEW deserves a lot of praise for an awesome show, and it was awesome, WWE would have got absolutely ripped to shreds for having that many people around. Instead, WWE's being ripped for being boring by having by not having anyone around and being empty arena, and AEW's getting away with it. I don't think it's equitable. I don't think it's fair. But nevertheless, it was a really good edition of AEW. You know, by the time this show comes out, I'm expecting the ratings will already be out. If I had to take a guess, I think AEW is going to win pretty sizably. Um, because I think as soon as the show started, if you tuned if you tuned into AEW at any point early in the show and are someone who flips back and forth, I think you probably stayed with AEW because the presentation was better. And basically at any time you tuned in, something interesting was happening. Now, so I do expect AEW to win the rating. That's basically what I'm saying here. Now, NXT, it was booked way stronger. Um, two title matches. Another really good match between Gargano and Dijakovic to open the show. And yeah, uh, someone actually pointed out to me that I say Dijakovic. I did it on purpose for comedy reasons because I hate the name, but you guys don't get it. So I'll call him Dijakovic going forward. Uh, but th- the show was booked very strong. We knew we were getting Karrion Cross and Finn Balor, two title matches and a big match to open the show. And yet, while it was entertaining, and for a normal episode of NXT, it was certainly good, I was disappointed, especially knowing they were going head-to-head with AEW and knowing what AEW was going to try to do. This was built as a takeover card. Three strong matches, two title bouts, yet all three of them had BS finishes, either with interference or disqualification. This is not what we expect for NXT. This was an edition of Raw or SmackDown. We get it. We know what to expect from WWE. Any individual match... Fine. Uh, You want to do a DQ? You want to do an interference? Yeah, that's your right. That's wrestling. Totally cool. But this is not what we expect from this brand. Um, And especially not what we expect knowing they're going head-to-head with AEW in a war. They're pretty close in ratings right now. They just won a couple weeks ago. They should really be trying to stay on top. Now, the Adam Cole Velveteen Dream segment in the main event for the NXT title, it started at 1048 with no overrun. Meaning we had 12 total minutes of main event and it was great action that we saw during those 12 minutes. I understand that NXT had no desire to give away a 25 minute match when you're clearly going to go back to the feud soon, but 10 minutes is so under delivering that it's a joke. And anyone who tuned into that show with like 18 minutes left or 20 minutes left and is expecting the title match and doesn't see it, they know what they're getting. They're flipping back to AEW. You knew you weren't going to get a title change. You knew you weren't going to get a full match even before it started. The match itself, as I said, the action was really good between the two. It did get me excited for a longer, real main event title opportunity for Velveteen Dream. The Dexter Loomis interference save, it was a great surprise and another really fun use of his character. But I have a feeling I know how this is going to go. Dream's going to be upset and fight Loomis. During their fight, Undisputed Era will interfere. They'll tag team together and beat Undisputed Era. And then Dream will get a rematch against Cole. You know, I don't know if they're going to do a takeover or maybe they'll put that match on a WWE pay-per-view, but he'll get a rematch with Cole for the title. Nick Flynn at nflynn underscore 17. He wonders what the ceiling is of Dexter Loomis and NXT. Uh, The character's intriguing. Ring work is great. But does he even have a chance to become a top-tier championship-level guy? Or will his character gimmick keep him away from that? I think I've addressed this previously. I think he's a guy 
who can factor into the main event scene occasionally, but will be an upper mid-carder. And there's nothing really wrong with that. I continue comparing him to Psycho Sid. That's just what he reminds me of. That type of character who can always be in an important feud, but he's not going to be a major draw. Uh, He's a B-side, but he's entertaining and different. And I, I really like... What I'm seeing for Dexter Loomis, the the finish to the match made sense if that's the direction they were going to go. Um, and seeing Dream, you know, hit the elbow and p- basically pin Cole one, two, three without getting the count. Again, it makes total sense from a booking standpoint, but that was the third finish we've had like that on a single on a single show. And by the time you get to it, you're kind of just like tired of not seeing real finishes from a brand that you have come to expect that from. I was much more positive about the Schmaz finish to the Charlotte Flair and Io Shirai match. They clearly have a plan and a story to tell with Rhea Ripley's return. The action in the match was great. And Flair, after my criticisms Tuesday, I'm not saying she listened to him. I'm just saying, you know, two days ago I criticized her. I thought she did a much better job selling for Shirai than she did Liv Morgan or Mia Yim last week. Uh, This is the Flair I want to see. The frustrated disqualification heel finish. That's typical. And, you know, Flair kind of in kayfabe didn't think that she would get tested to that degree by Shirai. But at the same time, I'm in a position where I don't want her being NXT champion. I'm sick of her being on both shows. I need her to drop the title and move on. So what is going to happen from here? We may have an Io Shirai-Rhea Ripley match for a number one contendership, a chance at Flair. Or we may just get a triple threat match with Ripley pinning Shirai So Flair loses the title unscathed. And if that happens, that is the exact opposite of what WWE should be doing. They would be doing that to protect Charlotte, who does not need protection. The whole point of giving Charlotte the NXT title, maybe they thought it would boost ratings, but it's to put over NXT talent. So she should be putting over Shirai. She doesn't have to lose to Shirai, but she should be putting her over. And then she should be putting over Rhea Ripley by losing the title back to her and making Rhea a two-time champion. But the match was really good. I was excited for Shirai and Flair. I would love to see it again. The Io Shirai thing, it just frustrates me because she's so good, but she doesn't seem to be at the top of their women's roster at any given point, even though fans want her to be. And I'm not expecting her to be booked the same way that Asuka was, but she should be treated the same way. And I don't feel like she is. So I do hope that no matter what happens, we see in 2020 a title reign for Io Shirai. Now, the moment I've been waiting for, the Karrion Cross debut. I want to talk about that. It was insanely great. NXT is next level with stuff like this. And this guy feels like someone Triple H is 1 million percent behind. It feels like something Triple H would have given himself if he was reintroducing his character in 2020. The iconography, the black and white presence, the ominous music. They finally had someone fully lip sync their music completely. I mean, the entirety of what Scarlett Bordeaux did in that was just as good as what Karrion Cross did. The transition from the black and white to a smoke-filled ring with very fast red and yellow and orange flashing lights. Then they finally show the name graphic. Mauro Ronaldo lays out for five seconds to let it all sink in. Smoke fills the entire arena. And then Karrion Cross absolutely lays out his jobber, just kills him. The announcers put over everything he did. They told you from the first second he was on screen, this guy is a main event talent. Now, candidly, and I've said it twice, I got a 
message from someone on Twitter that I say candidly too much. You're right. I do 100%. I will try to work on it. I'm still kind of new to all this, but candidly, uh, they have basically put him in a position where I care as much about carrying cross as I do almost anyone else in NXT. And I've only seen him a handful of times. I did not know anything that he did previously in impact. Um, just no experience with him whatsoever. Killer Cross, the character, I've gone back and seen clips, and I, I certainly think he's talented. Certainly, you guys asked me about him previously, and I was able to kind of give you my take based on what I knew about him and what I was able to watch on YouTube. But for an introduction into WWE, if you've never heard of this guy, this guy before, which a lot of the audience has not, you have to remember a lot of the audience is likes watching wrestling on TV but is not diving into it on the internet. You were just told, this guy is special, keep an eye on him, He's going to be something major. And I love when WWE goes to the bat for someone like that. Everything Finn Balor did in his two segments, segment and a half, home run. I know people get annoyed sometimes when wrestlers play to the smarks and use insider terms to that degree, but Balor is playing an honest character. So because of that, it works for me. And I love the interaction with Cameron Grimes. It felt so real the way, the way Grimes started backing off from him. He put the mic down. He was kind of telling him, hey, Finn calm down, man. I was just kind of messing, messing around here. And Finn just wouldn't let up on it. Um, so I'm excited. I'm assuming we're going to get a Finn Balor, uh, Cameron Grimes match next week. And them leaving the attack on Balor open-ended, it kind of tells me it's not Karrion Cross. Well, it's probably not Champa. Is it Gargano maybe for losing to Balor a few weeks prior? Is it someone new that we're not even thinking about? Again, just like when I mentioned with AEW earlier, I'm guessing and I don't know, and that keeps me interested. I don't think we're seeing enough of Balor on NXT. Hopefully this now becomes a week-to-week uh, appearance for him. The NXT interim cruiserweight matches, they didn't do much for me either way. Probably the worst combination of two matches that we've had on an sh- episode of NXT to date, despite all four guys being talented and working really hard. I'm not saying anything about the quality of the matches. It just didn't care about any of them. There wasn't much storyline reason to care. Kind of knew who was going to win both. So, you know, whatever. It's it's fine. The tournament continues. I do like what they're doing with Chelsea Green, but I much prefer the influencer gimmick to the total package gimmick. That's Lex Luger's gimmick. It doesn't fit her at all. Um, I get what you're saying. Yeah, she has the looks, the brains, the in-ring ability, the personality. I understand what total package means, but the influencer is unique. It's something modern. It's something that she would really fit. And when they did that segment at supposedly Robert Stone's mansion a couple weeks ago, it fit that personality of someone who is going to be getting you know photographs and is going to be all over Instagram and TikTok and a total pain in the ass who you really want to hate. Total package, I don't hate that. And it's been done so many times where you have a female wrestler who is beautiful and you're like, well, she has it all. Okay, I get it. But influencer is actually a gimmick. So I really hope they go back to that. And I also really hope Chelsea Green never again wears a skirt covered in glitter. It got all over the ring. It was visible for the entire rest of the show. And in the main event, like Velveteen Dream's laying there covered in glitter. If it was a title win, it would have looked awful. Please don't do that again. Uh, And as far as the uh, Gargano-Dijakovic match to open the show, it went exactly as I expected it would. I don't like Dijakovic's gimmick at all. I think it's totally holding him back. Not just the gimmick, the name as well. But I love the way Gargano and Candice are working together. It was maybe the best match on the entire show in terms of match quality. And it opened and it was solid. It was a good way to get the viewer into the show. 
But again, looking at NXT as a whole, I just can't help but feel it did disappoint um, compared to expectation where I felt that AEW exceeded expectation in every major way. Now, you guys have asked me to talk the challenge Total Madness on this Wednesday recap show since it is the fifth major sport in the United States of America. And I've done it solo for a couple of weeks, but I figured there is no better man to join me to talk about the craziness that is the challenge than the handsome one, the well-dressed one, Nick Costos. Nick, welcome to the your first appearance on Getting Over. How the hell are you doing, man? What's going on, brother? I mean, things could be better, you know? Uh, can we curse on this podcast or no? Everything except like the F word, basically. Okay, cool. So we can't curse. Um, yeah, I mean, this, <laughs> I mean yeah, the, the quarantine sucks, but glad that um, that seems like a lot of states are coming out of it right now. Hopefully you guys in Florida will be up and running soon. And um, I feel like uh, me in New York, where it's going to be at least until June for, for us here. So just kind of hunkered down and... Praying that there's an NFL season, my man, and a college football season, or else you and me are going to be driving Amazon trucks this fall. Yeah, that, that is true. I am going to take a little bit of issue with you, though, because you are getting excited for the most minute uh, sports revelations happening on Twitter. Oh, my God, Korean baseball, uh, whatever type of ping pong. Nick, these aren't sports that we care about. Like, I know you want to throw a little money here and there, but it's garbage. It's it's it's. I'd rather watch a really damn good movie or like get into a great TV show than watch Korean baseball. Well, well, it's not that I'm excited about Korean baseball. It's that I'm excited that Korean baseball means that hopefully American baseball will be coming back soon. Now I've gambled a little bit on Korean baseball. Of but course, do me you a have. favor. Don't be one of these cuck frauds out there that like wants to judge everyone for every little thing and enjoying something like the people that are like bitching about the NFL schedule coming out to, uh, tonight. Oh, that's like, ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, but like, it's like, come on, let's like, people with the NFL draft. It's like, oh, are we sure we want to do this? Like, oh, like there's there are so many people are dying and we're holding an NFL draft. You're goddamn right. We're holding an NFL oh, dude, draft. I, dude, the I'm people so need hope. Dude, I basically started a wrestling podcast almost during a pandemic. I'm not saying that things shouldn't be enjoyed right now. And, and look, Three days of the draft was like as, as great of entertainment as I could have possibly asked for. Yeah. And I'm not going to criticize anyone for NFL draft, but like, you know, and I'm not trying to gatekeep sports or gambling either, but it's kind of like Korean baseball. I don't know shit about these teams. I'm not going to gamble. On I don't it. either. I mean, I mean, I did. I'm up a dollar right she... now gambling on it. And I watched uh, like the first half of the first game the other night. Um, the first one that got broadcast. And since then I have, uh, I have not, I have okay. not watched that, the that, baseball. That's what I wanted to hear. It's like me, it was like me with the XFL. I watched a bunch of games because they were on television, but I also didn't dive into the XFL like it was some revelatory product. You know what I mean? Right. Now, I'm, 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 glad, I'm glad that I've, that I've lived up to your standards. No, and, I, uh, I, yeah, well, I'll I, be able to sleep better tonight knowing that. I appreciate it. Now, Nick, for those of you who don't know, for those of you that really only know Nick from wrestling, he is the co-host of You Better You Bet on uh, radio.com. And that's going to be back in June. So Look forward to that. He also does a lot of other gambling stuff. Nick, where else can people find your work these days? Um, yeah, I still got some work up in Sports Illustrated. And um, yeah, this whole pandemic really sucks because I haven't like said this out loud and like, I don't even, whatever. Um, yeah, like we had like, we had stuff going, like, like this pandemic screwed up a lot of stuff, but 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 all good. Once sports comes back, we'll be raring to go. The main place you can find me right now. Um, you better, you bet. Subscribe to that podcast. Um, on the radio.com app or wherever you find podcasts and you will get access to our sports gambling content once uh, once games return, which is really exciting. Legitimately, you know, even if I didn't know them, legitimately one of my favorite things during the NFL season last year, and I'm sure it'll be back, are those videos you did for SI where you broke down all the picks and you had the big board. Legitimately funny. It obviously was more entertaining when you got picks wrong and you got angry. Um, but nevertheless, that stuff is incredible. So when the NFL season starts, look out for those 
as well. But we're here to talk about the challenge, Nick. Uh, and it's unique because, you know, like this is the time of year where, we, you know, we would normally get the challenge anyway, but we need it more than we ever had before. You know, no NBA playoffs, no baseball, um, you know, even wrestling to some degree, as much as I love talking about it on the show. And I appreciate everyone listening to all these episodes. You know, I didn't start the podcast to talk about empty arena wrestling. I, I, I started it to talk wrestling the way we used to and, you know, talk about an awesome WrestleMania season. And then I get a two night empty arena show, which some parts were good. Some parts weren't. But the challenge is always good. Um, and I liked this, WrestleMania, by the way. I thought it was pretty. I thought it was pretty good. It wasn't bad, and we can talk about that at the end of this, but the challenge is always good, but it's always for different reasons. Now, you always have your your standard people, your bananas and your Wes and whatever, but I like the integration of new people. I don't so much love from MTV's other shows, the Love Islands or whatever the these crappy shows are, but I am a huge Big Brother fan. So when I see Big Brother contestants on MTV, it's Viacom shows all on one. I get amped up for that. Do you watch Big Brother or are these people all new to you? See, I don't watch Big Brother, but I actually watch Are You the One, the, the okay. dating show on MTV. So like, I actually like, like the people that come over from those shows. And Love Island, I have heard, by the way, is like the greatest like reality dating show of all time. But like, I think it's on Hulu. And I just got like, I just ordered this big ass like TV that's got all the, the smart shit on it. Um, so I may end up watching Love Island because I've heard it's great. That's where like Bear and some of the other um, contestants are from. But uh, no, I'm very into that stuff. I've actually never watched Big Brother, but like I, I, my big um, complaint about the challenge a number of seasons ago, I really thought it was growing stale. It was literally the same thing every single season. There weren't a lot of wrinkles being thrown in. And I think the injection of a lot of these new contestants, and really it's been, if we want to really give credit, I think it's been the uh, the injection of the British contestants. I think it's really yeah. like kind of brought the show to another level. And now they're trying new gimmicks and stuff um, this year with the Red Skulls. So I'm I'm into it, man. Like, I think the last couple seasons have been really, really stellar. And this one's been very good so far as well. We still have some unanswered questions. Not, it's not a bad thing. I actually think it's a good thing as to like, like when um, when Jay got eliminated um, on last night's episode, like I was curious, like he had two Red Skulls. Like, if he loses the elimination, does he keep one skull and then one skull goes to Rogan? So then is the could the final only potentially be, like, two or three people? Then, like, if a, so one person collects a number of red skulls and that person gets eliminated, like, we may end up... So that's, that, the, the, that kind of questioning, I think, is good and kind of lends yeah. to more drama. Because I don't think any of us know how this is going to play out, and I think that's good. It's true. Like, they're very well maybe a situation where, you know, I don't know how much longer these individual week-by-week -week shows are, but... There's six more weeks of regular shows, and then they have, like, almost a battle royal free-for-all with, like, a mass elimination. Is that like, true? No, 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 I'm guessing. We're like, there's four Red Skulls up for grabs, and those people are the last ones who can get in the finals. So I agree with you, and I think really since, definitely since the injection of the UK talent, but really before Dirty 30, there was, like, one or two shows before that where all of a sudden it started, you're like, all right, this is unique. There's some new people here, not just the UK people, but the what, what's, what's that show? Are you the one? People came in, coming in, and they would give you ten, and eight of them would suck, but the two that were good are good and are still on the show. So that's really why I'm enjoying uh, what we're getting from the challenge, and I also think people have stepped up. Some of the newer real world people that you would say, hey, you know, these new real world people, I don't care about them as much because they haven't been there as long, but that's where their pool of talent came from, and for me. Jordan and Tori are two of the best challengers of all time. Jordan's 29. She's 27. They just started and they're incredibly successful. Jordan's already won a couple times. I think both of them have the opportunity 
to be all-time Mount Rushmore Challenge competitors. Yeah, there aren't, there's any doubt about it. Um, and I have, um, I mean, the Action Network, our guy Stucky from the Action Network ran a, ran a pool where basically you pick names out of a hat because I want to gamble. And I got Tori, so I'm certainly hoping that Tori's oh, able, able, able to win. I was very happy with my draw. Look at the draw there with but, Tori. Um, she's great, obviously, and he's great. And I already think there's a case to be made that he's like, I don't know if he's on the Mount Rushmore yet, but he's like just outside of it already. Um, yeah. I thought what he was able to pull off on last season, uh, War of the Worlds, that it was, that's what it was, right? War last was yeah. US versus Britain. Yeah. Um, I think that was probably the best individual season a competitor's ever had on the challenge was with Jordan. He was like a one-man tour de force wrecking crew on stacked against him literally only has one hand and has to compete in challenges where like you need two hands to win and is still winning against guys bigger than him. I, I thought it was the best performance ever by anyone on one single challenge was what Jordan did last season. No, you nailed it. And that's what people don't really consider about him. It's like, okay, yeah, we, we're not trying to say that he's handicapped because he doesn't have him, but he is. This is an athletic competition and he is doing things that that people with two hands and, and everything else are unable to do or they're able to do it, but not as good as he was pulling a rope faster than a very strong muscular Josh was huge yeah yeah Josh is a big dude right and he, he totally wiped his ass in that competition so Jordan is truly an all-timer I agree with you I don't think he's there yet oh and by and by the way just also Tori last season had um, she was awesome too well yeah. what's that what's what's the challenge called where they run into each other it's like the same something wall, oh. wall to wall or something like that yeah 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 yeah, yeah. well anyway like Tori faced Jenny who's like who might be who might have been able to kick the shit out of China when China was alive yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then like her heyday. Tori trucked Jenny. So it's not just like Jordan that overcomes the odds. I feel like that there's a Vince McMahon with like WWE is for you. Oh, like John Cena overcome. They overcome the odds. Um, they're both, they're both badasses. Yeah. No doubt. Tori often gets overlooked because of how great Jordan is. And Tori's first season, she joined as a rookie. She was never on a real world. People didn't know who she was. She's from Are You the One? Right. But she made an immediate impact right off the bat. And where Jordan may be outside the Mount Rushmore right now, on a female-only Mount Rushmore, she's the fourth spot, in my opinion. She That's how be. good she is. By the way, Are You The One is a tremendous show, and Tori was great on it. And it's funny like to go back and watch like and think about Tori on that show. It's basically just like a love dating show. And like the dumb guy that she was like seeing on that show. And like there were a lot of really good competitors on the challenge that come from Are You The One. Devin, Amanda, some others. Um, I would highly encourage people to go back and check it out. The last season... I did not think was great. And for those people that watched it may be thinking, I think that for one particular reason, and that's not the reason. It was just way, 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 way over the top. Even for me, who likes over the top stuff and watches a lot of over the top end MTV programming. But the earlier seasons of Are You the One I really think are outstanding. It's funny that you mentioned Devin and Amanda, because I think Devin has probably earned some of his stripes. And Grant, neither of them are in the season, of course. But Amanda, I may hate no one more than her because she like has the biggest ego of all time and has done zero to deserve it. it it's she's she's when every time she's on that show she she starts fights and gets into the all this stuff man. and then loses but yeah. she loses she's a loser like it's just as simple as she's that so hot though and i think that kind of like plays into it where like i i like like and i don't want to get myself in trouble here but like i like i like girls with attitudes like that yeah like that's, i so I, I mean, not like, I I mean, I'm in a relationship now with a girl who does not have an attitude like that. So maybe that's like younger me talking, but like, I, I kind of like Amanda for some of those reasons. No, I think that's totally fair. This effect is always welcome uh, when watching the challenge. And certainly this year, there's plenty of that. So there's no, there's there, no hate yeah, no there. Question. But what I don't like about the challenge, Nick, and this is something that they've done and they've started doing it recently, 
when they've gone to these 90 minute episodes, really the like basically the same period of time, the last four or five years, they're giving us so many unnecessary cliffhangers where yeah, I was pissed last night. I was I'm, pissed last night. And they did it to me tomorrow. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting down and I'm giving you 90 minutes and you know, MTV, it's half commercials, right? They give you a nice large opening where you're sitting back like, all right, I'm getting into this. And then there's commercials every five minutes. I'm getting into the show. I'm excited. I knew it was going on long last night. And I, I hit my little DVR just to see like where the show was. And I'm like, oh, there's three minutes left. We're not going to get the elimination. And, and we're not even, we didn't even get the nomination. We didn't get anything. Yeah. Yeah. So to quote K- Teddy KGB, it leaves me feeling so unsatisfied. And it, it's back-to-back weeks. It is my one major demerit for this show. I actually said it to my to my girlfriend last night after the episode. She was like, she was watching um the, some show on Hulu. Um, and I went upstairs after uh, after it ended. She's like, how was it? I was like, it's great, but like they're doing. I actually said the same exact thing. I was like, you know, I understand last week's because like it actually was a pretty decent cliffhanger. Like, it was. It was, yeah. is Jay alive? And like the Rogan Jay storyline <laughs> was pretty good. So that one I didn't mind. This one was just like totally unnecessary, and it almost feels like. And maybe this is going to ding the show a little bit overall. I mean, I still really like it, but like this, like the 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 Jenna Zach drama, oh, yeah. this, like I am, I've been over their relationship for so like it's one of those where like it's it's good and bad. It's good because anyone can relate to it because everyone's got that friend or friends that are in a shitty relationship, yep. and like it's just like just get out of the relationship. Like everyone except for you two morons can see that you two are not right for each other, but they keep persisting on and on no matter what anyone says. And this has been going on for years. So just like you and your regular, you the person listening to this in your regular everyday life, when you got to listen to one of your friends yap on about this incessant bullshit that you know is bad over and over again, it's going to reach the point where you're tired of it. I am so tired of the Zach Jenna bullshit that's been going on for years. I think Zach is generally like a pretty good competitor, but he's a crybaby. When he yeah. goes off the rails, he's, he's, he's ridiculously annoying. Like I can't deal with him at all. So it's like enough already. He's not even on the season and he's bothering me. So it's like, just go home already. And they're building an episode around it. And I don't care about it at all. I don't care about the Zach Jenner relationship drama. Give us something new and something fresh. That's the cliffhanger. Is is Jenna going to go into a relationship? <laughs> Who gives a shit if Jenna goes over that? She's not even like the 10th most interesting person on this season. Who cares? Well, I mean, I do care for the same reasons you care about Amanda. But other yes, than that- I, I wouldn't even say I really even care about that anymore with her. Like, it's, I can kind of like the blooms off the rose there. And the whole Zach thing has turned me off to an unbelievable degree with her. The thing with every time Jenna is on an episode without Zach, there's drama. And it's crazy because look. There's drama when he's there too. There's I'm, always drama with them. But I'm comfortable enough to say this is a handsome dude. He is in incredible shape, better shape than I ever will be. Yet he is the most insecure person in the entire world. He's reading two-year-old Instagram DMs. He's worried that she's going to hook up with someone on this show when she, look, Jenna, you, whether you like her or don't, and you remember how she started, she was the girlfriend of that other guy on Real World and, yeah. and just got like looped into everything. She wasn't even on the Real World. She was the ex that she was a on. guest. Yeah, yeah, she just, yeah, she was the ex on that show. You're right. Um, so no matter what you think about her, she is not the girl on the show that you need to worry about cheating. We're going to talk about that in a second. Um, she is, seems, has always seemed to be a normal, nice, decently, I don't want to say intelligent because she's dumb as rocks, but, but a good head on her shoulders, I guess, is the way to put it. A good human being, a good temperament. A good human being. She doesn't seem like someone who's going to go on the show and cheat with Zach. And she's in there competing for money. These shows, they make you think that they go on for months. They don't. It's a very small window of time. So when people like. How long is it? A couple of weeks. No, it's got to be like six weeks. 
okay, fine. Let's say it's six weeks, right? So six weeks, she's already been there for two. And you want to, I don't know where they're, where they even are, like Ukraine. And you wanted to fly halfway around the world back home because you read a DM that you can't discuss on a Skype chat. Yeah, he's like, an what asshole. What's going on? He's an asshole. He's an and ass- no, she's an asshole too, because she puts up with it. It's but, a joke. Like screw them both. Send her home. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. Uh, I'm done with her. A, a, a long, a, before we get to Kayla, which is where I definitely want to talk about, um, in addition to the cliffhangers, the other thing I kind of hate, and it is reality shows altogether, but the blatant mix, misdirection. At the end of last week's show, in the beginning of this week's show, you heard 17 people, oh my God, he broke his arm, he broke his arm. You and I know, watching that clip, he, kid did not break his arm, right? He, he got wind knocked out of him, maybe he got a concussion, something like that happened. But... They're like trying to play it up as if Rogan literally took the life out of this kid. Yet they, he stands up, wins knocked out of him. He's clearly loopy. They let him keep playing. Now, look, I'm a a bigger dude in terms of, you know, stature. I'm not tall, but I'm I'm a large guy. If I saw Rogan barreling at me, I don't blame Jay for like tossing those like MJ jump shots because I don't want that guy tackling me either. I'd be scared too, but clearly he was not ready to continue competing. Then he starts talking about like, what are the rules? You pull that trigger, get this kid out of there. I don't even know how that, how they continued it after the first shot. I don't know. I kind of felt to me like Jay was probably like, I don't want to do this anymore. Let me get out of this. Yeah. I I don't like, I don't know if he was really concussed. I think he was probably like, I've got no chance here. And like, that's it. Like I either got to pull up and Kobe Bryant, this bitch, or I'm done. So Look, I mean, if Once I was he missed the shots, he knew that Rogan would eventually score on him and it would be over anyway. Like, like yes. So, like, I actually, the misdirection, like, that's reality show. That's reality. That's television production. So that actually didn't have a problem with. My point is for everyone calling him a coward, like, okay, fine, maybe. But oh, a coward? Jay. Yeah, great. You you get in the ring with the situation. That's, that's what I'm saying. I, I don't have I, don't, I have no patience for people that say shit like that. Yeah, I don't I don't blame him. Like I I wouldn't necessarily want to go up against Rogan either. Okay, especially in that scenario. Uh, we can kind of close on, I guess, talking about. Uh, He's Kayla. kind of a rat prick, by the way. Rogan. Who? I don't like Rogan. <sighs> the, the thing and and like, I liked him last season. And I liked him for a lot of last season. And now I don't like him. The thing I don't like about Rogan, and this goes for really anyone, is, is the stuff that he's doing with D where it's like, I don't want to be with you, but you can't hook up with any other guys. And even when that person's gone, I still won't be with you. Oh, that, that's whatever. Because then it's like, but it's up to her like, to be like, that's bullshit. Yeah, but he got up. Like, the whole reason he hated this kid is because he kissed her one time. But that's I mean, all... like, no, but that's like natural, I think, male. Um, like, I think that a lot of guys would probably. Sure, but they're not together. <laughs> like, but that's like, like the, yeah, but I mean. He's I, the one who screwed her over last year. Yeah, I mean, but who knows? I mean, I, I don't have a huge problem with that. Like, I understand, like, where he's coming from in that regard. I just feel like he has never really. And I know like a couple seasons ago, he went out early, <clears throat> which has kind of been like, it's kind of a footnote. He went out on the first day. On the first, first day. day. Yeah. I feel like he really has yet to meet his comeuppance. In sure. a way. So like last sure. season, never went into elimination, skated. Like I actually played like, I want to say he played a masterful political game. And I guess like you kind of can say that because of kind of how like he partnered with CT and kind of like, yes. like Joss didn't make it. Like through no fault of his own, but Rogan made it through no, the end. Yeah, but no surprise, Josh, Josh didn't make it. But why? He sucked. Josh sucked, man. He didn't have a good social game. He wasn't that good in competition. But no, but like, but Josh, Josh should have won a couple seasons ago. The season when um when uh, Ashley screwed over Hunter at the end. He could have. I mean, he was he was competing. Yeah, no, but I I've actually read conspiracy. I feel like he's that they won, and that MTV gave it to 
Hunter and Ashley to manufacture that moment. By the way, I said Amanda's the worst of all time. Ashley's the worst of all time. No, 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 no. Because Ash, Ashley's actually won before. So like Ashley- <laughs> Sure, but she's had people carry her to it, basically. But no, but she's brilliant though. So yeah. like, I mean- like, I, hate, I just hate her. I just yeah, but that's like, she's doing her job. She's a great reality. I know, I know, I know. She's a young. Um, Rogan has yet to, to meet his comeuppance. So like he doesn't go into elimination last season. He wins. God bless him. I think he gets credit for that, obviously. And now this season, he engineers it in a way that, like, and I don't know why they do this. Like, why wouldn't you go into face Jay at that point? Like, I had an issue with that. Like, Josh is a big pussy. Uh, Josh, excuse me. Go down and take and take out Jay. I, I didn't no, like, that's that's the answer. You never watched the Big Brother season. That's Josh. Like, he he is a crybaby mama's boy. And <clears throat> look, I think a lot of people, some of the guys, get on him too hard because he's an emotional guy, sensitive guy. And people are allowed to be like that, you know. I'm, I'm, I, I don't need to call him a pussy or anything like that, but that is his are you personality. Saying, are you saying that I shouldn't have said that? No, 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 no. But I'm saying some people get on him too much. But the it's girls, a, you, the you girls and also in regular life though. It's not like you'd like go to lunch with Josh if you were together and be like, "Hey, like you're a big bitch." It's 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 the challenge house. But he is so, he is that guy though at work though that would be complaining about every everything that happens at work is unfair to me. It's all against me. That was him in Big Brother. Now, he ended up winning Big Brother, but he got brought to the end by the other people in that show, and they voted for him because they didn't like the other person. So that is the definition of Josh. What you're seeing from Josh on the challenge episodes, on, on the multiple seasons, is the same dude that was on Big Brother, and these competitors' opinions of him are the same opinions that people had on him as, as Big Brother. Don't forget, these I actually like him. But these, like are people, these are people that are living with him also. Yeah. We just see what we see on TV. So yeah. who knows what's happening off, off screen, you know? See, I, I like Josh. I'm rooting for Josh. I hope he does well. He seems, like, he seems like a decent guy. But like I the, root for him, yeah. On the Rogan thing, like, I, I want to see him up in an elimination against, against someone good. I yeah. feel like he has yet to prove that yet. And I feel like he's kind of like snaking around. And he gets credit for that. And I guess he's a great villain, too, because I really don't like him. I, I want to see... It's not that I'm rooting against him. It's that I need to see him in like back against the wall situation and let's see what happens. I think that's totally fair. You know, year one, he sucked. Year two, he won. But like you said, he kind of coasted behind CT. Now it's like, let me see you go head to head with someone. Like Johnny Bananas Rogan. Let me see that happen. See if you can stand up to the greats. And I don't I don't know that he can. Maybe he can. Uh, two things before we stop talking about the challenge. One is this whole Kayla Bear thing. Um, so Kayla is the only person in challenge history. Not, I'm not trying to like say that I'm putting her on a pedestal or anything, but she's the only one I follow on Instagram. I think she's gorgeous and it's a, it's a worthy follow in my opinion. And the reason I bring this up is her entire Instagram, her entire Instagram is about this boyfriend and it has been for years, right? So well, she has a new boyfriend now though, right? Is this, is this a new guy? I think it's the same guy. No, 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 no. I think she dates this guy that was on another guy from Love Island who was on X on the Beach. This guy, Sam, whose last name is Bird. So there's Bird and Bear. Um, and oh, I think so that she this dates is a this new guy, guy. So this is so, a new guy post-challenge? I'm pretty sure. So the guy with the blonde hair, because I used to follow her on Instagram. I'm like, I don't know. That guy, I think I unfollowed her. But um, the guy with the blonde hair whose pictures were on the ceiling... I think they are no longer together. And I'm pretty certain I'm actually going to look right now. I think she dates this guy from another uh, that was that was on that British show Love Island. Okay, so I think that, her and that blonde guy broke up. That's screwing me up then because I was about to trash her because the Instagram is all the boyfriend and loving the boyfriend and all this stuff. And then she goes on this show and has Bear, who anyone who has ever watched or lived or experienced the challenge knows what this guy's about, knows he's a cheater, knows he's a piece of crap. 
Uh, is he funny occasionally? Yes. Is he also a piece of shit most of the time and garbage? Yes, he mostly is. Uh, and yet she allows him to pursue. She actually kisses him. You know, I think a single kiss isn't the biggest deal in the world. But nevertheless, she allows all of this to happen and then gets upset when people make fun of her for it. Yeah, I mean, this is like classic human behavior. I yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's she's a dipshit, obviously. Um, I think he's great. Uh, he might be the most entertaining person on the entire Ugh. show. Like, he should be on every single... Like, but things I, he does, oh my yeah, God. But, like, yeah, but the, the, the show would not be as good without him on. I know, I know. He's the chaos factor, I know. But, he, but he's he's hilarious. He's ridiculously charismatic. He'd be a great wrestling villain. He would be, yeah. And and, and, I, and, and, and here's the thing. He, he'd be a tweener. He'd go out there and he'd do really heel shit, and he would still get cheered. I would <laughs> cheer him, because I think he's hilarious. He's ridiculously funny. Now... Is he a scumbag when it comes to women? Yeah, he definitely is. But I mean, who among us hasn't been at some point in our lives? Like he's in his mid-20s. He's Instagram famous. You know, he's on a bunch of reality TV shows. Yep. Easy for me to say this as 37-year-old guy who just moved into a house with his girlfriend. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, if I were that, I mean, look, I, I've done, you know, I, I'm, I'm a bear fan and, I, and I'll leave it at that. No, and that's she, fine. She's obviously, obviously, obviously a total and complete dipshit. <laughs> there we go. Uh, last on the chat. I would not be. I would not be my first choice of pursuits. Oh no, no, me neither. But I mean, I do think she is particularly gorgeous. But yeah, yeah she's but, attractive for sure. Yeah, but not certainly not number one. Um, Johnny Bananas and Wes working together. Well, we'll end it on this because this is really the big overarching storyline from the season. How do you like it so far? And do you think it's going to work long term, or do you think one of them turns? One of them definitely going to turn. It's going to be. It's going to be awesome. Who do you think? Uh, it is? I don't know. I think it's 50-50. Because I think it's going to be like, it's almost like a race to see who gets in the advantageous position. Turning actually means those stabbing in the back. Not like, he may get voted in, all right, I'll vote him in. It means like actively like screwing this guy over. I, I think it could go either way. The minus 120 either way. <laughs> I, I don't think you said one guy is the favorite. Um, no. Things will come to a head there, almost, almost certainly. Because I think that both of them are showmen. And both of them have been on reality TV for so long that I think that like they kind of understand like the entertainment value that goes into all of this and will be looking for that moment also and like the bragging rights that will go along with it and their rivalry. Yeah. So I, I look at this lasting for a while, but it is going to blow up. I hope it blows up. And I think that when it does, it's going to give us like a spectacular moment of reality television that hopefully will like live in the pantheon of greats with like bananas taking the money from Sarah. I will say, oh yeah, for sure. I will say this, um, as a viewer, just as you were saying that the challenge was getting stale, it was getting stale for me that every year both of them were on it and every year they would attack each other. And I, I did say to myself, probably last year, maybe even the year before, why are these guys fighting with each other when there's all these rookies and all these people that are younger than them and better than them in these days, because they're younger um, and more athletic, getting over on them and eliminating them early why don't they work together? And to see them actually do it, it is very wrestling. It's very, the two guys that well, don't get life. along, that have feuded forever, team up, and maybe they have success. And dude, the ultimate for this show would be if these guys win the final and are faced with that decision of, you can keep, whoever has the fastest time, you can keep it all, or you split it 50-50, that would be the apex. That's the it best was. moment we could get on this show. Yeah, you're right. That, that yeah. would be awesome, there's no all doubt. Right. No more challenge. Real quick, let's let's talk to you about where you are at with wrestling right now. I know you're not consuming a lot of it during this period of time, uh, but you did mention WrestleMania. What did you think about Mania? Um, I liked it. I thought it was, um, you know, it was different, obviously. Um, 
I don't think we can kind of judge it on a normal scale. It entertained me for two nights, and I thought that really was was what mattered. Um, the Edge Orton match was maybe the worst steaming pile of shit I've ever seen. I thought it was, it was horrible. I loved the Kevin Owens Seth Rollins match. I loved the Boneyard match with Undertaker and AJ Styles. I thought it was brilliant, and I thought the Firefly Funhouse match with Bray Wyatt and Cena was one of some of the most brilliant storytelling I've ever seen, either in wrestling or otherwise. Um, I thought it was great, like classic good versus evil. I thought it was fantastic. Um, and yeah, I've not really been watching. I, I actually am now that I'm in my new place and actually have DVR where I was staying before we didn't have DVR. So I was forced to watch it because that, that I want to watch the challenge live. So right. I actually DVR'd AEW, I DVR'd NXT. I got to tell you, man, even like with nothing to do, nothing on really, I got no interest in sitting down to watch a three hour Monday Night Raw. Yeah, you know, it's interesting for really since November, since they did the draft, Raw has actually been for me every single week from November until present, the most consistent show. Uh, Heyman's not necessarily in complete charge of it, but he's doing a lot of the booking. He's pushing new younger talent, Aleister Black, Andrade, guys like that. And for me, it's been just the most consistent show. AEW went from from like from January until the pandemic started. It was murdering NXT in terms of quality, week-to-week quality. And then NXT just started putting on great matches and was far better, and AEW really dropped down. But last night, I mentioned it earlier in the show, AEW put on what I think was the singular best television episode of the entire Empty Arena era. So um, it's definitely worth watching if you haven't already. And, you know, look, I'm bullish on AEW uh, as a whole, and I do... You know, there's, the ratings are going down for all three shows during this time. Of course. People don't, people don't want to watch wrestling without fans. I'm of the mindset, kind of like you are with some of these fringe sports that are happening, of I got nothing else to watch. I would watch week to week anyway, so why am I not going to watch it now? I, I recognize that it's not as good as it used to be, but during a time period where I'm not getting a lot of new content and I can watch uh, The Wire in, you know, a week and a half, five five seasons of The Wire in a week and a half, I need some stuff to watch the rest of the time. There's only so much like working out and fixing my house and doing shit I can do. I have to watch wrestling. So um, yeah, I would say get back into it, Raw. Uh, sorry, if you don't want to watch Raw on SmackDown, makes sense. But NXT and AEW, man, it's it's killer stuff. Yeah, I DVR both of them. So I'm, I'm going to check both of them out over the course of the next few days. Awesome. Well, don't forget to follow Nick on Twitter at TheCostos, K-O-S-T-O-S. Instagram as well, obviously. You know he wants you to follow him there. You can see his luxurious long hair. The other thing I forgot to mention just about hair, doesn't Jordan uh, look like Simple Jack? He looks like an asshole. With his bald <laughs> I mean, I mean, no, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm very much of the opinion that people should do what they want. Um, it's so I'm, you know what? I'm not going to criticize. I, I, would, I would not do that, but like... I, I mean, look, Tori's hot. He's he's with his hot chick. So I mean, yeah. God, look for he's God winning. bless him. You know, he's winning. Yeah, you're right. The, any any criticism of, of appearances is not worth it when he's winning with Tori. Uh, anything else you want to promote or talk about? Uh, no. I mean, just yeah, subscribe to my podcast. You better you bet. When sports are back, we'll we'll be back with a vengeance. And uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully this bullshit will be over soon, and uh, America will get will get will get back to somewhat normal. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Nick, for joining. Really appreciate it. And hope, folks, hold on for the uh, end of this episode of Getting Over. Thanks again to Nick for joining us. I hope you guys really enjoyed that. It's certainly been a long time since him and I have been able to kind of shoot the shit about just stuff in general, life, uh, professional wrestling. So it was great to have him on Getting Over for the first time. Now, again, some reminders. We already published our WWE Money in the Bank Ultimate Preview on Tuesday. If you have not listened to that already, go back into the archives, find it. 
listen to it. Don't forget, I hope you're listening to this very early on Thursday, as early as you can, because Friday we have a huge double interview episode of Getting Over with Aleister Black and a current WWE champion who will not be named because the interview is not complete yet, but it is a big name, and I am very excited to present this unique episode to you guys, Aleister Black interview. It's one of my favorites that I've ever done. Really smart, intelligent, and forthcoming guy. No kayfabe BS. Just a, a really solid interview with Aleister Black. And again, two interviews tomorrow on Friday's show, not just one. And don't forget, immediately after WWE Money in the Bank, the Silver King will be here, probably with either Jack Crosby or Chris Vanini, to break down the entire pay-per-view instant analysis style. I appreciate the support, the dedication from all the listeners. Thank you guys for tweeting at me, following the show on Twitter at Getting Overcast, and following me on Twitter at Silverstein Adam. One more reminder, you guys just listened to another hour of great Getting Over audio, five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Drop the reviews, tell your friends, let them know where they can get the finest professional wrestling audio on the planet. I'm already losing my voice. We got plenty more to come this week. So with that, I'm just going to leave you with three words. Bye for now.